Good morning, and welcome to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you've made the conversation today and are joining us. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and the goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us in ways that get us thinking, get us imagining, get us feeling, get us wondering, get us connected. And perhaps inspired or challenged to do just a bit more because we've made the connection. Today, our show is co-produced with the Diversity Institute. And I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director, as my co-host. And the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business and that the potential of all individuals is important. I am so glad you are joining with me today as my co-host, Melissa. Oh, well, thank you, Lori. I'm excited to be here. I think uh, 2021 is uh, looking up. (laughs) It is. It is. I think we also need to recognize that today is a a month ago exactly from when folks stormed the Capitol. And and we know that if it were a Black Lives Matter, uh, that there would have been a whole lot more police and security like it was over the summer. And many, yeah. did, many did not take it seriously because they believed that it was mostly white people, so maybe it won't get out of hand. And, right. And the country, I and, and me included, we all watched in horror. And a lot of us recognized that this was racial uh, inequality. Mm-hmm. And, we, and then we saw, we saw it as also, um, you know, in a in a world where we saw America for the very first time yes. having this internal insurrection, yeah, um, it was it was really scary to tell yeah. you the truth. And uh, for me, I think the big question was: Okay, I see that this is wrong. I see that this is like right there in front of me. But what can people do? I mean, right. I, that was the overall. When I talked to friends, when I talked to colleagues, I mean, we were all overwhelmed, but we kept coming back to, but what can we do? Yeah. This is, it's overwhelming. And there's a whole lot of emotions coming at us when we see all this going on. And Mm -hmm. I think the heart of it is, you know, we all want to do something, but we don't know what. And, yeah. And I was, I think our, go ahead. Go ahead, Lori. No, no, I was going to say our country needs something, and you're probably leading right yeah. into it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I, I loved how you brought to me um, the book on racial healing and proposed yes. an idea for us to really talk about it You know, for however long we want to talk about it. And, and you brought the book, um, The Racial Healing Handbook, Practical Activities to Help You Challenge Privilege, Confront Systemic Racism and engage in collective healing. And this is by Annalise Singh. And if the audience wants to buy this, if you are inspired by our conversation, we we highly recommend buying the book and um, kind of joining us along with with our journey of exploring these concepts. Yes, I think that's a great idea. Uh, And I think as we go through the rest of the year, it could be important for each of us in community to heal together, mm-hmm. right? And I believe that there is some real healing that needs to be done. One of the things you said one time when I was frustrated by something, and, and you're so, um, you're a person I love to come and share when I'm I'm frustrated about something. Your your comment back was, "We need to approach this with grace." 
And it yes. just – it turned my whole frustration around from this just really upset me to how to approach with grace. And yes. and that was just exactly what I needed to hear of, OK, how do we, we turn around something that makes us angry or makes us upset? We don't know how to confront a situation. And it's like, well, how would we do this with grace? Yes. And then I think too with – it started with COVID-19 back in March of 2020, um, the murder of George Floyd, the um, Black Lives Matters protests. Some of them turned into riots. Um, the shootings that transpired in Wisconsin when people were protesting peacefully. I mean, as we went through 2020, so many things started to weigh on the, the minds and hearts of Americans. Our children are not in school. Um, and when we do get them in school, we have to be concerned as to whether they'll be safe. Um, you know, and then we saw at the end of, well, the beginning of this year, the storming of the Capitol, yeah. which was something that, I mean, I'm not a very patriotic kind of person. I do put my flag up on the 4th of July, but I was really emotionally taken by that. I was hurt by that, mm-hmm. that they would, I saw those, I see the Washington buildings, the monuments and the, and the Capitol as sacred ground, sort of where the country was founded. And to see the um, Confederate flag in there. I mean, it's never flown oh, in there. And, and swastikas. Oh, there were, yes. there were swastikas in there. There was Confederate flags. There was stuff that, you would never, ever expect to see in our nation's capital. And something that powerful can almost silence us versus engage us because it's, and, it's so well, overwhelming. Right. You're right. And I think, too, I really I, – I, I say everything happens for a reason. I believe in my heart of hearts that that had to happen. Because people did not take seriously the rhetoric that Donald Trump was, um, you know, spewing from Twitter, spewing from the White House. He was inciting that. He incited those people to go there. He said, go to the Capitol. Um, Literally, he said that. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the Republicans came face to face with what we are dealing with as citizens on a regular basis when you go into sam's club and you see someone yelling and screaming at a security guard because they don't want to put a mask on and the security guard is just doing his job right when you see people telling us that the election was rigged and Mm -hmm. stuff like that all of those things they weigh on people emotionally right and And i think we need healing we do i think that I hadn't thought about it that way. I mean, I, I I understand that we do need healing, but when you shared the book and I started to read through it, it was like yes. And and I think one of the things that um, I mean, she she puts right out there that the premise of the book is that our world, and it's not just our country, but our world is steeped in racism, um, and that we don't have enough regular conversations about it. I mean, just regular out there conversations. You're so right. And I believe that um, Dr. King, it was Dr. King who said that white America may not be psychologically prepared for this conversation mm-hmm. because it's a, a matter of I've, I've found so many people in my consulting work who 
feel like they have to give something up in order for there to be racial equity. Have you, have you experienced I have, that too? I have. And, it, and I, I, sometimes I feel like that it, because I do a lot of work in um, multicultural um, education and whatnot, sometimes I feel like yes. they want to create kind of like an ally with me and like they, they tell me like in, in sort of between us, you know, I'm just not sure I can really persuade people because I'm not sure people really want to give up. And and right. my comeback is what if we said that it, it gives the impression that someone has to give up? I mean, right. What, what, what have I said that has <laughs> – has created that that concept that you've tumbled to that somehow there's only a limited pie and if someone gets more than someone else is getting less versus how do we build a bigger pie or have more of an abundance or see opportunity by bringing yeah. more in? Why is there a sense of limitation and, and the sense of giving up? Um, it's a sense of scarcity that has, has been put into our heads. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's interesting, too, when we thought we think about what's been put in our heads. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the definition of racism. Right. I like that. um, Singe actually gives us some really clear definitions. And she um, says race is often about as as is often defined as a biological construct, like a shared um, appearance. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe I have brown skin and you have brown skin. So they say we're black or maybe my eyes look different from your eyes. So they say I'm Asian. But I like the fact that I like to use the term ethnicity because ethnicity really refers to a group that shares a common ancestry. Mm -hmm. Right. And race actually does not really um, stand up to the test. So if you think about a shared appearance, that can be misleading. So my example is black Hispanics, Mm. right? So when we go to the U.S. Census and they want us to tick off our boxes of what is your race, they ask you first, are you Hispanic? Hispanic is an ethnicity. It's not a race. So, but they don't ask us, are you Italian? Are you uh Right. They don't ask us about other ethnicities. So why ask about are you Hispanic? And I tell people part of it is because it's all about numbers. So the Hispanic population can some of them can be lighter skinned and look or for the for the lack of a better term, appear to be white. And then some Hispanics can appear to be black. The challenge is those two Hispanics can be in the same family. Yeah. My wife, right? My wife, Cecilia, is very brown. Uh, she's, her family is from Honduras, so they are Spanish. They're Latino. And her father is dark. Her father's darker than me. And her mother is light, light as um, your complexion. Huh. So, and they're both in the same family. Her father would have to tick off if we went, up, went by the U.S. census. Her father would have to tick off black. Mother would have to tick off white. And then they both would tick off Hispanic. So these, these concepts are what we have all been learning, that if you're Hispanic, you either got to be white or black. It does seem to me it comes down to a lot of white and other, right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. White, mm-hmm. and white is just this construct. I mean, it doesn't really exist. I mean, right. it, it, but it, it becomes part of the privilege. 
You know, it becomes part yeah. of what is recognized with lighter skin. There is some things that are available, um, whether that's you know quality education, safe neighborhoods, access to good health care and jobs. And I think white people sense this and start recognizing it, but then have this overwhelming sense of guilt and not knowing what yeah. to do or how to say something or to do something about it. Yeah, and I think that that comes from also being conditioned, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So we we hear all along for years we've been hearing now in our work, what am I going to do on Thanksgiving when I have to talk to my family from out of town and and they see things differently from me? Yeah. Well, part part of the challenge is those folks who see things differently, who see um race as an issue and that there's a them and a us, mm -hmm. their voice is louder than the folks who are white who are saying, this is not right. Right. And we need to figure out a way to help people to um, gain their voice. And you always talk about voice, mm -hmm. Lori, mm -hmm. about how people can actually use their voice. And, and start to feel more comfortable in sharing what they believe, because our voice is our soul. Our voice is who we are. A voice, are, we know when something is off. We know when said, someone has said something that's just not right. And, and it's either about someone else or about ourselves. And our voice is what allows us to go, I have something to say about this. And, and, mm -hmm. and that what we're saying is more important than being afraid of saying it wrong. Because it's, it's right. we've we've figured out who we are, and we figure out figured out kind of our red line of what's okay and what's not okay, and yeah. we've come to the end of our segment. We always run over. I need to have <laughs> us move into the second segment. But I think one of the things that that we talked about, especially for this first segment, is it's important for curiosity. Right? We, yes. we need to have. The first step in healing is like truly being curious. We see all these things going on and we might not know what to do or what to say. But a first step is how can we learn? What do we need to learn? Right. And getting educated is a key part of ending racism. Yes. Yes. And it's a journey and it's a lifelong journey just like we've talked about how education and some folks really um, you know, are, are, are excited about lifelong learning. You know, I'd love to get people excited about being curious and lifelong curiosity and lifelong conversations about race, about ethnicity, yeah. that it's okay to talk about it. We, we're all steeped in it. Can we just like start talking about it and, and normalize it to a certain extent so that we can get through it? Yeah. Make changes. Make changes. All right. We're yeah. going to stay with us. We're going to continue this uh, fabulous conversation. Um, we're going to pause for some commercials, um, but we're going to talk about implicit and explicit bias in our next segment. So stay with us. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And today our show is co-produced with the Diversity Institute. And I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director as my co-host. And the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business and that the potential of all individuals are important. Welcome, Melissa. So glad to have you as my co-host today. 
Hi, Lori. I'm happy to be here. So excited. You know, I'd love to get um, the word out about the Diversity Institute's next workshop. Um, You are hosting a workshop on March 16th from 9 to 12, Relearning the History of Racism and the Hidden Rules. Yes. Folks can register on Monday, right? You're start opening yes, it on they Monday. Can. And actually, that class is open for registration right now. Oh, on is it? Eventbrite. Oh, great. Oh, good, yes. good, good. Yes. On Eventbrite. And they can sign up and register on our website, stantonadams.com. And I, again, that's Tuesday. It is a 9 to 12. It's a three-hour workshop. Uh, yes. And it's $175 per person. But... You, there's two ways you get a discount. If you do a group you and you have a group that's going, you get a 10% discount. And because you're listening to Connections Radio Show, there'll be a space there that um, you can put in a special code and you can just put Connections. Uh, if you use that word, you'll also get – And you will get, get the Connections discount. That's right. Yeah. So it's, I, I highly recommend it. Um, so, uh, Melissa will do a, a much deeper dive on the history and, and really looking at all the hidden rules. But today we're still going to go back to the um, the book that we are reviewing and working on and and um, making comments about. Uh, and then we hope to use this book for a few shows. Uh, and it's the, the book that we're we're really talking about is the Racial Healing Handbook. It's practical activities to help you challenge privilege confront systemic racism, and engage in collective healing. And this is by Annalise Singh. And I recommend buying the book. Uh, at some point, we're going to be opening up our show for conversation for folks to call in. But on the first yeah. few shows, we, we want to first introduce the concepts and um, do a little deeper dive about these concepts. And then, then we're going to start having some conversation with the audience. So stay with us for that and be thinking about things that you want to to bring to our our attention and to to talk about what it means to heal. Our last segment we talked about, you know, some of the challenges of confronting racism and how the world is steeped in it. And this segment we we shared we were going to be doing explicit and implicit stereotype messages. Um, tell me about that from your point of view, Melissa. What are the the things that can happen that are you know really more in enculturated into us? Um, yeah. Well, I think part of it is it's become a part of our societal norms. Mm-hmm. Racism is stereotyping, right? And it's really just um, something that has trickled down from slavery and colonization. The, you know, in other words, there are societal norms that promote whiteness, whereas Whiteness, with whiteness being the ideal race, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And these things trickle down into our media, schools, family, communities, and then we start to pick up these implicit and explicit messages without realizing it. It becomes a part of our socialization. Yeah, and we act on it, you know, unconsciously at times. Sometimes it's conscious, but sometimes, I mean, what they did on January 6th was very conscious. <laughs> there was, there was right. no cutting around that. But there are things that happen that are unconscious that, you know, if we take the time and pause and look at our reactions, so often we're in a hurry, right? We, we get we want to get right. a lot of things done and we, we don't realize that some of the things that we say or some of the things that we assume because we haven't slowed down 
maybe awkward, may, may not be completely correct. Just, just because you may have learned it from seeing it on TV or you just read history that focused on white people's history, uh, it takes – when we get back to the last segment where we ended with really need curiosity, in order to combat the unconscious bias, you really need to pause and be more curious and not just think that you knew everything. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, and that's where the healing begins, yes, right? Yes, yes. We can heal from this. Oh, and you know, this, this, we can heal. Just one, one quick thing. What I loved about the book was it, it showed how everyone in society, both white and people of color, um, are are damaged by racism. Everybody yes. is. Yes. And I think that's the piece that a lot of people don't understand as well, that Racism impacts not just people who are being the target of racism. It also impacts people who are not racist. So let's say or they, they anti- or they don't want to be racist. They may have right. they may have things that they haven't examined closely enough to realize. Ooh, where did that come from? Why do I believe that? Right, right. It's the relearning part, isn't it? Yes, and then see. The part of it that's that's hard is that your conscious it's a it's like it gets into your conscious mind and it nicks and tears to your at your conscious. Mm-hmm. So we do need to heal from it. And according to saying healing means you open your eyes to the cost of racism. Yeah. And that requires learning more. That yeah. requires being open to learning more. Oh, and and you not know what automatically defensive to... because that's what we right. run into is the defensiveness because there's the guilt, there's the shame. And, and and so you don't want to believe that it's bad because then you have to change. I mean we'll, we'll have to think yeah. about the world a little differently. And you know what? It goes back to your saying you will learn to develop a profound racial consciousness and conscientiousness. Yeah. That, that to me is very important. I mean we talk about consciousness but we don't talk enough about – what does it mean to be conscientious? Yes. And conscientious is the pause. It, it, we can be conscious. I, sure, we can say, oh, that was sort of an off-color joke that uh, I don't know how I feel about it, but I don't want to say anything. Well, that's not conscientious. I mean you could be conscious, yeah. but you know, at what point do you call it out and go, hey, you may not have meant that, but this is yeah. how it felt. So let's talk about it. You know, that takes some courage. Because yes. people don't want to make people uncomfortable and they we hold – especially women. I think women, we don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. If we're uncomfortable, we'll just work through it. How do we get a voice to to be able to call it and then what you do so beautifully is that grace thing, <laughs> that yes. loving people up thing and that yeah. even though they've said something really awkward, you can turn that around. I've always been amazed at how you do that. Yes, and it's it's like you said, it's about giving people grace. And I kind of liken it to Dr. King. Oftentimes, my some of my black colleagues will say, you know, Melissa, I don't want people burdening me with their questions about what can I do? How can I help? Yeah, they want a checklist. Say, White people want our checklist. <laughs> well, call me, look, look me up, and I will give you a checklist. I will sit down, and I will talk with you. What if Dr. Martin Luther King said, I don't want to be burdened with all of this. Where would we be today? So some people 
in life, it is their, it's their calling to help to bridge the gap. And that's what I see myself as, someone who can help bridge the gap. So call on me, ask questions, because we have to unlearn these bad habits that are entrenched in our society. And that can happen when you develop trust. And I think that's another gift that you have is that you help mm-hmm. develop trust with folks so that people can say things and, and make mistakes and you're going to be okay with them making mistakes. And you'll help guide them. And I think that them. we've got to give, yeah, we got to yeah. give people grace, Lori. Yeah. Even, even if you're not a, a diversity expert like Melissa Adams, <laughs> you're not a trainer like Melissa Adams, okay. please give people grace. Yeah. Here's a quick way to do it. Someone says something inappropriate. You can go, ouch. Yeah. What you just said could be seen as a microaggression. And what the other person should say is, oops, I'm sorry. What should I have said? Oh, that's so straightforward. That makes so much sense. And ouch is not a term that is attack or you know anger. It's just like, that hurts. But it, it allows people it, to hear, hey, that and hurts. And it's lighthearted. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. we've got to give people grace because I was thinking about it in terms of this. What if we just stopped speaking to the people that we didn't like? Yeah. Well, that's the We'd cancel two, culture, right? You know, that, that. Right. Yeah. We'd have two factions and no one would get anywhere. And unfortunately, we're kind of close to that right now. So bridging the gap is important. And taking a break is important, too. I got to go to, to commercial. But um, in our next segment... I think we'll we'll continue to talk about some of the stress around all of this and and looking about how do we learn about systemic racism. That's a term that's thrown around a lot. What do we really mean by it? What's how do we define that and how do we look for it? So stay with us. We'll be right back after some commercials. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and today our show is co-produced with the Diversity Institute. I have Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director, as my co-host. And the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business and that the potential of all individuals is important. Melissa, I'm so glad you're my co-host today. Oh, thank you, Lori. I'm happy to be here. I also want to make sure that everyone knows about your great workshop coming up, March 16th, and it's from 9 a.m. to 12. It's virtual, so uh, you can go on and register for a virtual workshop, and it's relearning the history of racism and hidden rules. Yes, and I think the most important part of that is the hidden rules, right? Yeah. We are all... uh, Walking around some t- some days, uh, not recognizing that the things that we're doing are either perpetuating or um, exacerbating racism. Yeah. To sign up, you can go to the website, and that's um, StantonAdams.com. And people mm-hmm. can get discounts. If it's a group, you can a 10% discount. And by listening to Connections Radio Show on AM 950, you can get 10% off by using the word Connections. Um, great program. Uh, it's uh, Melissa is going to be doing a series of these once a month uh, deep dive work- workshops and we'll, we'll be promoting them on our shows together. 
but this one's going to be a real good one. I really encourage you to be thinking about uh, hearing Melissa's ideas. And with workshops, this is interactive, right? Yes, it is. Uh, activities and everything. Great, great. And we've been talking today about a book that we are going to be using for several of our shows and eventually we'll be opening up to for conversation. But the book that I highly recommend is The Racial Healing Handbook, Practical Activities to Help You Challenge Privilege, Confront Systemic Racism, and Engage in Collective Healing by Annalise Singh. Uh, so we're at the segment three where we were going to be talking about systemic racism and how that gets into structures and how it gets into families. And I know, Melissa, you and I have talked about you know some personal stories. Um, I haven't shared this one with you, but I, I was thinking about it um, after you had shared a story with me, which I want you to share. And that was <laughs> one of the, the first um, big arguments I had with my mom. My mom was very big in the civil rights. You know, I, I – Teased, you know, in our family that I learned how to walk in in a march. Um, so, and and I, you know, I grew up with the Martin Luther King um, beliefs and how important they are. And I guess it wasn't too surprising that in high school I started to date a black guy, and yeah. didn't feel anything, you know, that, that seemed totally natural. And my mother, who you know, you'd consider woke in that one of all the wonderful things that she did still had her own blocks, still had her own things that she knocked up against. And she did not want me to date this guy. And and she did not, you know, her fear was somehow I would date, I would get married, and our children would have a hard time. And she it was a protective instinct, yet at the same right. time it it, it was not at all what I thought she was about and believed in. And if she believed in that, then why would it be upsetting to her that I'm dating this wonderful black guy? Um, and uh, a big fight. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, it's funny. My earliest, and that's probably like one of your earliest memories of like race really being you being impacted by race. By me being impacted. I think that up until that point, you know, I we were supportive of lots of things going on in, in Pasadena. She was, you know, fighting the John Birch Society and integrating high schools. And, you know, my mom went down to Alabama when she was pregnant with me and walking black children to schools. So it never it, it all I just always assumed that that's what, you know, we were working towards where everyone can be anything they want and whoever they want to be with. But um, I banged up against how that impacted me by a mother who had inspired me to, to think the very ways of um, being able to be with whoever I wanted to be with. Right. But even yeah. her in that situation, you know. Her, and, you know, her, I'm sure that that was a very emotional um, moment in your life. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was it, – but it, 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 we knock up against it. Now, you talked about your father. As well, telling yes, you. my father. You know, we grew up in. I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. New York, very, very diverse, and the neighborhood we grew up in was very diverse. Um, there were people who were white, Hispanic, um, and I don't think we had any Asians living on the street that I grew up on. But it was predominantly mixed bag. My father would say to me when I was about sixteen years old, he said. Now, don't go out there and find any Puerto Rican guy and, and bring him in here and tell me that you're going to marry him. 
um, because my father didn't want me to marry anyone but a black man. Mm-hmm. I was uh, about 16 years old and coming into my own, and I was saying to myself in my head, well, Dad, you don't have to worry about me bringing home a man at all, <laughs> let alone a Puerto Rican man, because I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> and the ironic, the most funny thing about it is my wife is Hispanic, and he probably should have said, don't go bring in a Puerto Rican girl in here. That's probably <laughs> what he would have had to worry about, uh, you know. But it's just the way we are, when we're growing up, these are the things, the little things like this that get into our psyche. Yes. They mark, you know, they get etched into our minds. The other thing was television. I grew up um, as a latchkey kid. I grew up, I'm Gen X, and TV for me was my babysitter. And I would watch shows on television that really did not have a lot of black people in them. And when they did have black people in them, it was like Good Times, the story where this family always struggling at the end of the show they would maybe get a lottery ticket and and all of a sudden they'd lose the ticket so it's like you get this family that every time they got close to getting successful at the end of the show somehow that didn't pan out right and that was that was what we were raised Well, even early on, I mean, I love Star Trek and, you know, I loved Uhura with putting a thimble in my ear running around and pretending I was Uhura. But you knew, (laughs) you knew when there was one of the the teams that went down to the planet, if there was a black guy or a black woman, they were going to go first. They were going to (laughs) die. There was no question. Like, like, oh, no. With the horror movies, right? Same thing with the horror movies. The black person was the first one to go. And, you know, it's we're, we're laughing, but these are the things that we see growing up and it starts you know and it's interesting too if it gives us a certain value it puts a value on a black life Mm -hmm. right if i was watching law and order the the criminals would usually be black or hispanic right well Um, and and that unfortunately does you know when you look at statistics black and latinx they only make up – that population brings up 32 percent of the population. But incarceration, it's 56 percent. Right. So it's like – it's horrible. It places sort of an assumption. But it also reflects some of the – what's happening and why. I mean that's part of that whole systemic. Why is it that there's that many more? You know, is it because right. that there's more suspicion? And how does that suspicion? Well, folks, you know, we watch shows like Law and Order, and oh, it all who always is the person that's you know really the bad guy, right? Right. You know, um, I also was when when you said that you made me think about the pandemic. Yeah. And you know, I was reading an article, and it said that. Um, the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, said, oh, everyone's subject to this virus. I don't care how smart, how rich, how powerful you think you are. But I would say instead, this virus has exacerbated the inequalities in American society, yes. right? Taking a disproportionate toll on low-income Americans, people of color, and others who were already marginalized before this crisis. Hit. And part of that is housing. There's multi-generational housing. There's more people you know, in, in homes. A lot of the individuals are more considered um, to be essential workers, so they're out more. And it's, it's not only impacting them by getting the virus more. There's less uh, people of color that are getting the vaccines, 
because of the same sort of barriers that occur. And, you know, Laurie, it's just simple and plain that um, people of color do not experience the world the same way Mm -hmm. um, as folks who are white. They're perceived as not having as much value. Like that man putting his knee on the neck of George Floyd and all of us standing there watching him in his cavalier way, right? Uh, And and God bless that 17-year-old woman who... Took her, there. Yes. took her camera and said, I will document this. Even with him telling her not to, her. And, and she stood her ground. That to me is her voice. Her voice yes. told her, I, my voice will be my, my filming of this. I, I, this right. is my, I will make sure the world sees this. That's right. And you know what's funny? I was looking at, remember when, George, when that happened with George Floyd, Many people were saying, well, why were they standing there filming it? Why didn't they do something? Because they know that if they would have interfered, that would have been them on the ground. And and there were six policemen there or four. four, There were four. Four policemen there. Right. Right. You're going to like confront the police. That's the problem is that there is an an equal treatment of how people of color are treated by the police. Exactly. We don't have the privilege of confronting the, the ability to confront the police. If you do, you will be another George Floyd. Right. You don't say, why are you pulling me over? What is going on mm-hmm. here? Uh, you know, you can't. And that's when you start thinking about, I was reading another book, Medical Apartheid. You think about there are two countries that we're living in, black America and white America, and we need to bridge it. We need to find a way to bridge that gap. And part of that is the healing and how do we start to get educated and how we start to learn and talk about. And our show, we hope for the next, uh, I don't know how many many shows we'll do this. We might do it for the rest of the year. Um, But we're going to be talking about healing and what it means. And in our next segment, our last segment, it goes so fast when I have, uh, when we do our shows together. But in our last segment, we'll talk about really what does healing mean and what can we do? And maybe we'll give some um, a homework assignment for our next show. How's that? Like a plan. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back after some commercials here. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we've been talking about racial healing. I'm Lori Fitz, your host, and our show has been co-produced today with the Diversity Institute. And Melissa Adams, who is the president and executive director, has been my co-host. And the Diversity Institute believes that diversity is everybody's business and that the potential of all individuals is important. I also want to make sure that everyone knows that there's a great workshop coming up. It is a virtual workshop. Uh, It's March 16th is the day of the workshop from 9 to 12. You can sign up by going to statenadams.com and there is an Eventbrite event uh, sign up. And you can get a discount because you're listening to Connections Radio Show and you can put Connections in the um, – is there a spot for it? There's like a a question about say the secret password. (laughs) It's going to ask for a code, a VIP code, and you can put in the word connections with a capital C, and you should be able to get your discount. And the topic is relearning the history of racism and hidden rules. And as uh, Melissa has shared, it's the hidden rules part that I think is going to be really important for folks to be thinking about. Right. And we also want to leave folks with practical tips, tools, and techniques. There's a... uh, racial healing calendar that comes out where you give give yourself 21 days of things you can do 
to start your racial healing journey. When we talk about healing, um, healing, according to this handbook, which I just really resonated with, and by the way, I didn't mention that, um, we're talking about a, a book. It's the Racial Healing Handbook, Practical Activities to Help You Challenge Privilege, Confront Systemic Racism, and Engage in Collective Healing by Annalise Singh. The thing that she says about healing that really struck a chord with me is healing means beginning to unlearn the stereotyped racial messages you internalized about your own race and the race of others and learning about that cost of racism and white supremacy. It's all about education. Bottom line, we've got to educate ourselves. Yes, and I like that. She says, um, you can begin healing from racism through changing your individual actions and interpersonal interactions. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, it was interesting. Cecilia just told me she saw a, a statistic that said there's one, the one thing that uh, right now during COVID that managers can do to increase engagement and morale at their organizations. And you know what it is, Lori? What is it? Care. C A R E. All they have to do is care about people. Show that they care. Demonstrate that they care. Yes. Yeah. Demonstrate that you care. Reach out and say, "How are you? How's your family doing right now?" That's what I see as that interpersonal interaction. And when we care, that's also part of the healing, isn't it? Showing that we care helps to heal. And and when we learn to start healing, we give others the opportunity to heal too. Yes. And it's not about, see, this is a great opportunity to talk about what it means to heal, right? Right. So let's say you have the flu and you need to heal from the flu. I am not going to come over to you and, and say, you know what? You ought to be ashamed that you're sick right now. Right. No. Right. You comfort yourself. Exactly. And you comfort others and you give them grace, which is Our, what you do exactly. beautifully. And you care in the healing of, the, of, of others and you care in the healing of yourself. We only have a minute. Yeah. We have a minute. Let's, one, what, what great one quick thing do you want to have people be thinking about before our next show? I think maybe reaching out and getting that book could be a great opportunity for folks to start the process. It just healing means beginning to unlearn the stereotypes, right? Right. Um, healing healing means that you learn the cost of racism right. and white supremacy. And the handbook is going to help you give some step by step ideas, and we'll be sharing some of those step to steps. Melissa and I do our show the first Saturday of the month, so listen in on the first Saturday of the month. We're going to be continuing with our our handbook, um, and I'm going to give one shout out, and that is, I want to challenge everyone to think about how can you show you care. Show someone you care. Very simple assignment. And if you And it should be someone who looks different from you. Yes. Yes. Find someone that you care about and demonstrate that you care about them. Or even if you don't know them, someone that's not like you. Show you care. Be part of the grace. Be part of the healing. Thanks for listening. We're so glad that you're part of Connections Radio Show. And we look forward to having you join us again.